Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. I hope you all are having a wonderful, wonderful week. Um, we are pre-recording this service for you this morning so that you can worship with us on Sunday morning uh, if you are not comfortable being here because of the pandemic. We want you to know we love you, we care for you, and if there's anything we can do for you, we're always one phone call away. Uh, this morning we'll be in John chapter 21, and that is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And I, it hasn't quite hit me yet that we are almost done uh, with this journey through this marvelous gospel. Two and a half years uh, it's been, and I know it's been uh, an incredible time for me, and I'm thankful uh, for your patience and uh, for your involvement. Uh, I did want to mention once again the beginning of the month of June. We will not only be starting a new book, First Thessalonians, but we'll be starting uh, a new translation. We'll be, not a new translation, we'll be switching to translations to the new King James version. So I want to make sure you were aware of that so you can go ahead and get your copy if you'd like to follow along word by word like I know uh, is better for me. So let's go ahead and jump right in. John chapter 21. We're going to read the first 14 verses this morning. John chapter 21 as we start the beginning of the end of the gospel of John. The Bible says, after these things Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And also there were so many and the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we do thank you for this word. Help us to see... Lord, the things that you would have us to see from your word. We submit to its authority and to its power. Uh, Father, would you guard my speaking and may I speak only uh, your words. And, and Father, would you uh, protect us from error. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the gift of preaching. We thank you for the gift of the Bible. And we pray that it would bear much fruit in the lives of your children this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. So once again, this morning, we come to the final chapter of the Gospel of John. And as we noted previously, this chapter, John chapter 21, is something of an epilogue or a postscript to John's Gospel. Remember, at the end of the previous chapter, we we saw that climactic confession of faith from doubting Thomas, and then it was followed last week by what's a summary statement of John's purpose and why he wrote this gospel account. Now, what follows here in this final chapter is, is what seems to be John's way of tying up some loose ends as it concerns the relationship between Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you see, while it's clear that Peter was present when Jesus revealed himself and his resurrected body, we are never provided with any sense of resolution in regards to Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus, which just happened a few days earlier. And so that's the background, and John wants to give us some closure on this, on Peter's denial of his Lord. Because that it's a very big deal, isn't it? We always treat it as a big deal, and it is. And so this morning, and really for this entire chapter, what we're going to look at uh, is this closure of the relationship between Peter and Jesus. And this morning specifically, we're dealing with the first portion of this closure. So as we give our attention to the text this morning, uh, John begins this final section by just setting the stage for us, setting the context for this resolution of this relationship. He tells us that sometime after those meetings with his disciples and his resurrected body, Jesus reveals himself to them again at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another way, by the way, of referring to the Sea of Galilee. Some people wonder why the disciples chose to go to Galilee. What was there for them? And in fact, some have concluded that the disciples were misguided or they showed a lack of obedience in their decision to go fishing at this time. They think that this is proof of them living in sin because they're being idle when Jesus had commissioned them to accomplish particular work that he had for them to do. But I think those who see the disciples in sin here for going fishing are mistaken. Uh, The disciples didn't just go up to Galilee because they were planning a recreational fishing trip. In fact, this is not a recreational fishing trip. Uh, They went to Galilee because Jesus told them he would meet them there. Uh, Jesus told them that's exactly where he wanted them to go and where he would meet them. In fact, if you look back to Matthew chapter 28 verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to them, the disciples, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. And then in Mark chapter 16 verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, notice that, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So given that they were told by Jesus to go to Galilee and that Jesus would meet them there, that is exactly what they did. And apparently when they got there, they didn't see Jesus when they first arrived. So rather than just wasting time, they chose to redeem the time. We know that some of them were fishermen by trade, so they thought, hey, let's go fishing. Now, you need to remember that even though they had given up all to follow Christ, they they still had things they needed to take care of, right? They're still human beings. They still needed to eat. 
They still had to look for ways for provision for their daily need. And what would be wrong with those who were fishermen by trade going fishing as they wait for Jesus? You know, it, it just struck me as I, as I read some, some commentaries this week and some thinking that this is the disciples in sin. It just struck me that it's interesting to consider the ways that, that Christians sometimes view these sort of things in life. I, I don't know about you, but I find even passages like this uh, quite comforting. It is comforting for me to know that the disciples have some sort of normalcy in their lives. Um, that the apostles of our Savior even had normal lives. Yes, they were special. Yes, they were called and commissioned by God in a special office as apostles. But they're also human beings like you and me. And they have everyday responsibilities. Listen, folks, our lives cannot be so easily dissected that the only way for us to glorify God is in some formal ministry in the church building. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 very clearly that we are to glorify God in everything that we do. In our eating and drinking, whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. But guess what? Included in that is, you're going to hear me say this, yes, it is possible to fish to the glory of God. And I can just feel a lot of our Nassau County men amening that, right? It is possible to fish to the glory of God. It's possible that whatever your vocation is, to do that vocation unto the glory of God. It is possible to eat. It is possible to drink. It is possible to vacation to God's glory. It's possible to cook meals, to clean the house, to babysit, even change diapers to the glory of God. Friends, if we belong to Jesus, it is not more holy or obedient to be in your study than it is to take up your God-ordained responsibilities in your life. They are all important. We can do all of these things to the glory of God. And just because somebody isn't doing some form of formal ministry doesn't mean that they are wasting their time or being disobedient to God's call in their lives. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. Now listen, that doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want to do and say, well, yeah, I'm doing this to the glory of God. Having the glory of God is a mindset. It's having Christ at the forefront, just like John's purpose in his gospels we saw last week. So don't fail and go the other way to say, well, yeah, I don't have to come to church now. I can go fishing on Sundays because I can do that to the glory of God as well. No, friends, worship is the fuel by which we understand all of these other responsibilities are to be done by God's glory. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, and the point really I'm making, is that there are mundane things we have to do in this life. When we do them, and they are unto the Lord, we do them to his glory. So the disciples fished all night long, and they caught nothing. This whole scenario, I hope, is familiar to you. Uh, if you've spent any time reading through any of the Gospels, you'll likely find this setting here is very reminiscent of the time when Jesus called his disciples to follow him as it's described in the beginning of Mark's Gospel. They were fishing, and Jesus called them to follow him, and he promised them that he would make them fishers of men. Which is exactly what they're becoming. 
Jesus is making good on what he promised here. Not only that, the miracle we see in this account, it's also reminiscent of a prior miracle that happened in Luke chapter 5. Jesus performed this same miracle. So with this similar setting and miracle at the end of John's gospel, it's as though John is bringing us full circle back to the beginning. By meeting them at this familiar place and performing this same miracle, Jesus is reminding them of his calling. He's reminding them of his promise to be with them, to help them accomplish the ministry that he would purpose them to accomplish. This whole event is designed by Jesus to remind them of their need for his instruction and blessing. One commentator made an interesting observation about this account. He says this, In the Gospels, the disciples never catch fish without Jesus. Did you notice that? I didn't think about that before, but it's true. In the Gospels, the disciples never catch fish without Jesus. There's a lesson that we can learn from that. Even though a number of these disciples were fishermen by trade, they they could not be successful in their work apart from the blessing of Jesus. That's profound. Uh, Now keep in mind, these weren't simply what we would call recreational fishermen. Some of these were professional fishermen. Let me tell you, experienced fishermen know their stuff, don't they? They know the movement of the tides. They know the direction of the winds. They know where the contour of the lake floor drops off and where it picks up again. They know where the fish go when the water is warm or when it's cold. They know how to read the landscape, how to look for the bait fish, to pay attention to the activity on the birds, on the water, all kinds of things like this. But nevertheless, no matter how experienced these men were as fishermen, the work was fruitless apart from the instruction and blessing of Jesus. In God's providence, he purposefully prevented them from catching fish all night long. And he did this with a purpose. He did this to remind them with a real life illustration of what he told them in the upper room. That apart from him, apart from Jesus, apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. Uh, the disciples are being commissioned to, by Jesus to take his precious gospel into this lost and dying world. Jesus wants to re-emphasize this fact. They must follow him if they are going to be successful in their endeavors. Jesus must be at the center of all that we do as his people. And that goes the same for our ministry and whatever you do in this life. Notice what happened here, though. The disciples toiled all night long with absolutely no success. Then out of nowhere, a stranger appears on the shore, and he asks them a question. Children, do you have any fish? Have you caught any fish? And notice, by the way, when he calls them children here, it's kind of the equivalent for when British people use the term lads, right? Uh, Lads, do you have any fish? Uh, The answer, of course, is no, we don't. Now, why do you think that Jesus asked them this question to which he already knows the answer? Uh, It was for their sake. He asked them this question in order to reveal their own need and shortcomings. Their own failure to provide for themselves what could only be provided for them by God. 
Well, in a similar manner, Jesus might be asking us the same question this morning, don't you think? How are you doing? Have you been successful lately? Have you have you felt like you've been being productive and successful on your God-commissioned call? Are you satisfied with what you've been doing for me, for the Lord, and unto my glory lately? Well, the purpose of this kind of question is to get you to think about your needs, right? He knows that you are not doing well, and he wants to make you aware of that so you will know what the next step is. He knows if you're not satisfied with how your life and work are going, but, but the question is, do you know it? That's what he's getting at, is whether or not you know this. Do you know how much you really need the Lord Jesus in your life? Friends, it's important for us to acknowledge our needs. Uh, it's also important for us to acknowledge how far short we come in trying to meet our own needs in our own strength and wisdom. Uh, just like the relationship between uh, the law of God and the gospel until we know the bad news. Until we know that we are lawbreakers, that we are headed for hell, the good news doesn't mean much to us. Law and gospel are part of the gospel message. We must first understand the degree of our dilemma before we can appreciate the relief. And Jesus would have us know that he is the one we really need. He is the only one that can meet our deepest needs. And that's what he's doing here to the disciples. He's getting their attention. Well, once he gets their attention, speaking of Jesus, he then provides them and us with instruction. Jesus tells them, hey, cast their nets on the starboard side, the right side. They did not know it was Jesus at this point for whatever reason, whether it was the morning mist, maybe an overcast, hazy sky, or whether Jesus was simply preventing them from recognizing him. They did not know it was him, yet something compels them to do what he says. Now let's pause right here for a second. Doesn't it strike you as odd that a group of experienced fishermen who are very tired, having fished all night long, would hear the instruction of a complete stranger on the shore and actually do what he says? I mean, not only were they fishermen, not only were they experienced fishermen, but take experienced and fisher out of the equation, they were men. I don't know if you know much about men, but... You, you can't tell us nothing, right? You, you can't tell us a thing and, and not think that we initially know what we're doing. I know none of our women here have probably ever experienced that in any way, shape, or form. But this is exactly what happens. These experienced fishermen are being told by a complete stranger, they don't know him whatsoever, to, to do something and they actually do it. it. It could have been anyone on the shore. Why in the world did they listen to this? Well, we see a picture here and really how the Lord works in our own lives. Humanly speaking, left to themselves, those fishermen probably would not have heeded the instructions of that stranger. Yet because the person behind that voice was Jesus Christ, it, it created, it, it carried with it the power to compel his disciples to do whatever he bid them. The same is true for us. Whenever we do what we should do, 
It's because the Lord is at work and his word and spirit cause us to do his good pleasure. And not only that, uh, but our Lord is able to persuade us of many things that if left to ourselves, we would never believe or heed. And notice now the, the command and the promise that Jesus makes here. The command and the promise. He says, cast the net and you will find. Cast the net and you will see fish. Cast the net on the side of the boat and you will find a catch. There's a command and a promise. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, it reminds me of all the times in Scripture we see something like this, a command and a promise, right? Uh, where Jesus says, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you, ask and you shall receive, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, hide the Word of God in our hearts and you might not sin against God. The more we follow the Lord and the more we follow His ways, the point in all of these commands and blessing is a closer communion we gain with God. I'm always reminded about that, that great passage of Enoch. Remember Enoch? He gets one sentence in the Bible, and it's a powerful sentence. Enoch, he walked with God, and he was no more. Isn't that what you desire to be known as, as a, as a person, a, a, a man, woman, and child who walked with God? That you'd be known as a person who not only walked with God, but that's defining of your life, and that's really the sum of the days of your life. Uh, Jesus was using this occasion to really remind his disciples again that apart from him, they can do nothing. And now, uh, let's relate this to ministry. Uh, because he gives them a command and then a promise of a blessing when they follow that command. Obviously, we're not talking about uh, obeying and, and the old, old covenant, the, the if-then sort of covenant thing. We're covered the grace, but there still is a sense to where uh, God will not bless our ministry, uh, at least unto his glory, if we're not being obedient to him and doing things the way he asks for us to do. I mean, think about this. There... This means that there are a number of ministries that exist that aren't being blessed by the Lord for the simple reason that they are working in their own power and strength, attempting to do things their own way. Uh, not that, that mere numbers or material riches, friends, we have to get that out of our mind as that's the sheer proof of God's blessing. That's, that's not always the sheer proof of God's blessing. But the point here is we can never presume that God will bless a ministry if we're not doing things his way. Uh, the, thanks be to God, by the way, that he's gracious, right? Uh, be, because we are never perfect in the way that we do things. Nevertheless, though, it's not an excuse for us to keep going our own way. We need to, to do everything in, as it regards to God's ministry his way. I'd also like for us now to appreciate the timing of our Lord's words to his people. Think about this. After laboring hard all night long, when morning had come, and they were likely getting close to calling this thing quits, Jesus speaks his word, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Our Lord's timing is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, I just think about my own life. How many times uh, that we find ourselves coming to the end of our own strength before Jesus reveals what he would have us to do? 
How many times do we cry through the night and yet that shout of joy comes like a beam of light in the morning when we hear his voice guiding us through the mess that we've made? Isn't it comfortable to see that while the disciples were working so hard, wondering if there was any point to any of this at all, wondering if Jesus was even around, where is he, if he even cared about what they were doing on that boat, even though they didn't know it. It's comforting to know Jesus was watching them nearby on the shore. And at just the right time, he said just the right words. And in an instant, the Lord provided relief to their toil. Listen, folks, if if you're going through a difficult time, and whenever you are going through a difficult time, you, you might not sense that Jesus cares or that he is nearby But he is, and he does. He does care, and he is nearby. Our God is not some removed deity. Uh, He's not far from us. He cares deeply for his children, and he will provide for us all that we need at just the right time. We need to do is, what we need to do is trust him. And trust his timing in it all. So after Jesus gave a command to cast off the net to the other side, they immediately caught a huge amount of fish. It's then John recognizes Jesus. Just like the tomb, John recognizes him first, then Peter. And he tells Peter it's the Lord. And at this point, Peter jumps into water and starts heading for Jesus. And I want to just stop for a second here and glean a a similarity through the previous account in Luke chapter 5. I would like to point out that there's a difference in the response that Peter has in that story in Luke 5 and this one right here. Uh, In Luke 5... Peter's response to the miracle is very, very different. Uh, His reaction was to say to Jesus, after he did a similar miracle where he had them cast the net on the other side of the boat and they had large fish so much that the net was breaking, he says to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But in this account, his reaction is altogether different. Here, instead of wanting Jesus to go away because of his sin, he runs to Jesus so that he can be close to him. Church, uh, this is nothing less than the work of grace in Peter's heart and life. He now knows that because of his sin, he needs Jesus all the more. And friends, we do too. Uh, More than that, do do you see how Peter had no reluctance at all in going towards Jesus? There is a confidence he has in jumping out of the boat and swimming to Jesus as quick as he can. Why does he do that? Where does he have this confidence? Where does that confidence come from? How does he know Jesus is just going to receive him on the other side of the shore? He just denied him a few days or weeks earlier. From where does Peter's boldness come? It comes because he knows his Savior is a gracious Savior. He knows that because he belongs to Jesus, that he will be received with open arms. And that has a strong application for you and I this morning. We sin all the time. And we sin in varying degrees. Now, no argument here. Peter's denials of the Lord Jesus, they were major sins. 
But friends, you and I, we commit major sins. Uh, There are times in which we we may not be denying the Lord Jesus with our mouth, but our actions and the words coming from our mouths as people look on look like denial. There are times when we do things that are just plain horrible. But I want you to know this morning, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care what you've done this past week or this whole year or your entire life, you can run to Jesus this morning and be confident that he will receive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you have placed your faith in him and you've trusted him by faith, friends, he will receive you and you can cling to him as your great Lord and Savior. I want you to know that. Friends, don't be like the Luke chapter 5 Peter. The the Peter that says, I'm I'm too sinful. I I have to go deal with this on my own. You recognize how, how poor of an understanding of the gospel that is? Friends, even in our sin, we run directly to the one who cleanses us of our sin in Christ. I've I've just seen that so many times in my life when people have such a poor understanding of the gospel that when they sin, they think the answer is to run away from the Lord. How does that make any sense whatsoever when you know what the gospel is? Run toward him. Run toward his church. And church, there's a charge for us to receive others who are running towards Jesus, not with judgmental stares or murmurs, but with arms open wide because it's the best possible place they can be. Cling to our Lord and Savior and ask for forgiveness of those sins. Now, after been shown the power that Jesus has over all things, one final thing I want you to note is that after showing his power and providing this great catch of fish, look at what Jesus does at the end of our text. He then goes on to show his servanthood. Our servant Savior really does care, not only about our physical needs, but our spiritual needs as well. You'll recall how during his earthly ministry, Jesus would put on an apron, and he'd wash the feet of his disciples. I want you to notice this. Nothing has changed even after the resurrection. Even in his glory, he continues to care for the needs of his people by serving them. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, we, We close with this final thought. Friends, Just know, if if you belong to Jesus, then you know that he has provided all that you need for faith and life. And not only that, but he very much cares about your practical concerns as well as your spiritual needs. We, We tend, especially during this time, we tend to think that Jesus only cares about our spiritual growth and our spiritual needs, and we only attest his care to those things not seen. But friends, Jesus cares about your physical needs as well. He does. He, he has room for that. And yes, the primary thing that we need to be concerned about is our spiritual growth in all matters and circumstances. But, but let's not think that, that Jesus is not big enough to care when you are going of times of, of need. And maybe you've been one who's lost your job during this pandemic, or you've been one who's been struggling financial during this pandemic, or you've just been one who's in desperate need of some sort of circumstance. Friends, know that Jesus cares, and notice that, that trust that he will provide, maybe not 
in the way we think he will, but he's provided already in the greatest thing he could have provided in his son. And in, in Christ, we find all that we need for life and godliness. So friends, you, you will make it. You will, because Jesus is our great provider. And, and even more that, he cares. His care is sufficient. He cares more than even we care. He cares in the right and holy way. So trust him, lean upon him, and know that. In fact, we, we know 1 Peter 5, 7, right? Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. That's a call and command from the Lord to do these things. Jesus knew that his disciples were discouraged and he knew they were hungry. So he willingly met with them to meet their needs and to minister to them. Isn't it a marvelous thing to know that the God of this universe is concerned with things like providing breakfast for his children? What a comforting and sobering thought that is. I pray that you find that to be a comfort to your soul and that you're encouraged. Please join your hearts with me together in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. Lord, this, this text just shows us the character of our king. And we thank you for sending this king to be our king. We thank you that he still indeed, uh, though he is king and Lord over all and he deserves every ounce of respect and honor, Lord, that he still loves us enough to, to serve us and provide us with the needs we have each day. What a tremendous Savior. Father, I pray for those who may be struggling, who are thinking, Lord, that, that even during this time that Christ only cares about their reaction spiritually. He doesn't care about any of the physical suffering we may go through. Father, would you remind us that there's room for his care to include our needs? Lord, that he does care and he serves and he provides us with so many wonderful things. Would this provide comfort to the believer's heart? And Father, may we be like the John 21 Peter, not the Luke 5 Peter. And when we sin, that we would run straight to him. Father, we are very, very sinful human beings, but you are a very, very forgiving, gracious Savior. We thank you for that. Lord, if there be one here who is listening to this and doesn't know you, I pray that they would, they would hear and see what you've done for them in the cross of Christ and they would repent and trust in the finished work of Christ. Lord, so that they may, may be saved. We trust you to do that as well. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, friends, as always, if there's anything you need or there's anything I could be praying specifically for, please contact us. And if you don't know Jesus and want to know more, please um, pick up the phone, call us, come see us. We'd love to talk to you about this great, caring Savior. I love you. Have a wonderful week. Uh, God bless.